This is Frameform. Hello and welcome back. It's Wednesday, my dudes, for Friday. I mean, for Frameform. <laughs> Switching Wednesday and Friday here. Surprise. <laughs> Today is an episode featuring just Claire and myself. Uh, Jen had a previous engagement and had to attend to at the very last moment, so she will be missed. We miss you, Jen. But today's episode, even though we're one absent, uh, the content is going to be just so vibrant. Would you say, Claire? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hughes a plenty. Hughes a plenty. So today we are going to talk about the use of color in dance film. Now, I don't know if this is the case with you, Hannah, or I mean, this might be the case with other like other people out there. It was actually funny when you were like switching up Wednesday and Friday because I always kind of view each color with a sort of shade or a hue to it. Almost yeah. like as a way of almost almost like as as a subconscious way of like measuring how good the day is or how much I like this particular day of the week. So for some reason, mm. I've always thought of like a Monday as a red or a Wednesday as a yellow or a Friday as a green or I don't know what the psychology of that is. And um, maybe those who are you know have the the gift slash curse of synesthesia might experience that in a different <laughs> way. But even without too much mediation. Different colors make us feel certain things. Like, even if I'm just looking at my desk here, I see the orange lacy, I see the red journal here. Each of those is pinging something right away in in my brain and triggering a very specific association. And when we see color used on screen, it really is uh, or can be used very effectively to bring out subtext of a film or bring out the subtext of a certain scene. Not sure if we've discuss this film at any point on the podcast but the film I'm thinking of right away is um, In the Mood for Love by Wong Kar Wai. Oh yes. Lovely film. Yeah. And just a masterful film as far as like how film language works and specifically how colorful film language works. Uh, I'm just thinking of that one. um, There's that one scene where I think it's Maggie Chung and Tony Leung uh, speaking in like a very having a very very mundane conversation, but the wall behind them is bright red. Oh, and that yeah. a shot like that just says so much more than, you know, spelling it out through dialogue. Very lusting for each other, even though they're not ever together or get together in this film. It's just more shown through color, which I think is a genius move for Wong Kar Wai and how do we depict a feeling from what we can see but maybe visually but not through emotional context in that way and yeah red right away I mean that's what we think of when we think of love the most common thing is a red heart oh yeah oh yeah and it's funny with different colors there are different associations uh, with each color, depending on, I suppose, the era or, you know, culturally where you are in the world. Uh, I mean, I have two different color charts right here that give very, very <laughs> different uh, and sometimes contradictory associations with certain colors. So, for example, 
yellow is a color that I think has, you know, different shifts in terms of its perception over the years that can signify wisdom, knowledge, relaxation, but also dishonesty, cowardice, betrayal. Um, green can also symbolize something like healing, soothing, perseverance, but also has associations with jealousy. Envious. Envy. Green with envy. Yeah, exactly. Rich. Green was also known to be a rich color because it was very hard to make. George Washington's house is actually painted green because he wanted to be expensive looking. <laughs> Fun fact. Wow, I didn't know that. That's a no. The, the more you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, that even expands when you get to the realm of um, color color pairings. So, for example. I actually went to my local magic co-op <laughs> recently Lovely. to get this color chart. As you should. <laughs> and not only, I mean, not only does it have, you know, color associations with the different chakras, which, you know, take make that what you will, but it also has um, this double action or reversing section that uh, lists different colors as well as their, quote, you know, reversals or their correlations. So I had a chuckle at the yellow and green drawing in money, wealth, fortune, prosperity, financial gain, and financial improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and this might be something very, very specific, but the team I follow, the Oakland A's, have yellow and green colors. That is mm. definitely not what's going on there. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That makes me think now about being in Washington, D.C. with both the commanders and the caps and the nationals all being red because it's all about like the energy and the strength and action and you know that's such a dominant color when you think national that's bright red <laughs> capitals bright red commanders talk about taking power maybe putting some rage because that's what happens when you're playing sports oh abs yeah absolutely and you know glad that they're using that name now <laughs> yes yes indeed <laughs> And also just the the use of red as far as, you know, I I think that there are a few more political colors. If you were to isolate one color as a particularly political one, I think you'd be hard pressed to find something other than red because right. that symbolically references some very, very, um, I guess, very stout politics um, and very controversial ones. But we're not going to talk about that today. This is a different kind of podcast. Yep. <laughs> you, there's there's plenty of others in the um, on the list if you wanted those kinds of talks. But for this kind of talk, we're just going to um, we're just going to open it up to different colors of the rainbow, but be specific as far as their use in dance film. So with all of these colors and color pairings, I have to bring up one of the most famous when color grading actually became a thing in digital post-production. The most famous is the orange and blue aesthetic, which, again, also to point out a word aesthetic, Mm -hmm. um, is definitely something that has really became in a normal usage and vocabulary in the past just couple of years. But the orange and green really emphasize each other and look very nice on screen. If you look at the circle color chart, they are opposite sides of the spectrum, which is what really is most desirable when it comes to color pairings, 
because they're so complimentary colors. They're complimentary and so well contrasted that you could really pull those two apart. Uh, if we look at films like The Matrix, where that teal, again, teal and orange aesthetic really show through with some yellow in there. Uh, I always think of 40 Days and 40 Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, these films really date themselves when that happens. And which is fine. That's fine. You could still do that now and play mm-hmm. a homage to that. But oh, absolutely. It's not also uh it's not only just used in digital post production that we know of today. Uh if we look at the iconic Wes Anderson who is very m- much well known for his color choices in his work, um mm-hmm. really specific to a small color palette we should say where they're very complimentary and very well looking to the eye and used to such a T throughout the whole entire movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I'm just, I was watching uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel recently. Mm. I'm just like, oh, this looks like a cake. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Speaking of Wes Anderson and Orange and Blue, have you seen the Asteroid City trailer? The Asteroid City trailer. Yes, indeed. Talk about a movie... That is now being taken place like in the American Southwest. I've been waiting for something like that. Mm-hmm. And oh, that yeah. film has all of the desert tones. So you get the blue sky against the orange, like clay ground. Um, I'm definitely feeling the sun in that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. It has like a almost has like a burnt feeling about it, which Again, it's like very evocative of what what it's like to, at least in my experience, being in some of these, you know, southwestern desert towns and like going through and, you know, with the sun beating down on you with no shade in sight. It's Mm -hmm. very um, and just like the piercing blue sky above along with that. It really um, it really does evoke that specific feeling. But there's so many ways to play with color within the films themselves. not only with uh, the color grading, which I just want to say, by the way, um, Hannah is a an expert <laughs> in terms oh. of color. I've <laughs> I've had the pleasure of actually looking over her shoulder, like doing some Da Vinci magic and being like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a useful skill. <laughs> Definitely useful skill. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And if you want to learn more, um, hit Hannah up. Um, but also in terms of the production design. Mm-hmm. And this is something, especially with younger or more exper- like inexperienced filmmakers, um, that a lot of times the production design doesn't necessarily get that much consideration. And so either the meaning that you're intending doesn't show through or um, unfortunately unintended meetings end up showing through. But the specificity with which you approach your color palette, both in terms of your mise-en-scene, as well as the uh, post-production work that you do, um, can really draw out additional meaning from the film. So let's actually take a look at a few films, and let's actually start with one that we saw at uh, Dance Cinema in 2021. This actually, uh, this film was actually a favorite uh, for those who watch uh, Jen's awesome supercuts because it very prominently featured a phone being thrown in the microwave. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was uh, that got a chuckle out of me every time, and I'm sure the audience was felt the same. 
And this film is a French film called Feelings. It's a very modern day film. It is a very contemporary situation of um, text message breakups and uh, constructed online identities, uh, but all contained within the apartment space. And so, Hannah, how did you feel? Like, what was, how did the use of color stand out with this particular film for you? Yeah, I felt like this film definitely screened Date Me, whatever, but it, Definitely made me think of Gen Z color lighting aesthetic with the neon lights or even just having a kind of customizable room lighting that you can do at the touch of a button. So that was like the that was the first thing I came up with and definitely embodies a beauty glam culture of setting yourself up, dressing up, uh, setting the mood a certain way. I think as a color aesthetic when it starts off this more kind of saturated but also muted tone to the reality and then once she transforms into this glittery body dress and sets up the colors of her room and these are oranges and purples and yellows really brings up the energy of being sexy and looking glamorous and feeling a certain kind of way for the camera lusting towards the camera lusting for the self it definitely is hyped up but when she enters to that moment where she throws the cell phone into the microwave I thought there could be something very different or something ignites a change of color a change of feeling where all of a sudden we enter back into that reality of muted, neutral tones. Yeah, even something like, you know, the the microwave shorting and the power going out. That could have been very fun. And just right. seeing like the, the hue that would result or like, a, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you there. But I'm very, I'm also very intrigued with the use of the, the cooler um, sort of blue indigo tone for the quote online space, because that's something that's very much a part of online culture. I'm just thinking particularly with the last five years, but certainly um, one that we can, you know, extends to today as well. Those blue and purple hues are very uh, noticeable or they're, they're very prominent in online videos and in online spaces. And there was actually a term called bisexual lighting <laughs> associated with these videos because of the colors and their association with the bisexual flag. Not to men- not to say that these were necessarily queer coded per se, but they definitely evoke a certain look and a certain time. And this was actually a look that was appropriated to Hollywood and to major TV uh, TV shows. So maybe we saw. Um, this look being used in YouTube videos, but then we see in movies like Neon Demon or even something like Zola, um, which right. tell, let me tell you, that is a hell of a movie to watch with your parents. Um. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that is a hell of a movie to watch with family. Wow. Yeah. But we but it's the, also the kind of thing where we're kind of I say we're kind of at the tail end of that era, but it's something that's very dated to this particular moment. And as, at least whenever I um, I used to do a lot of uh, teaching online and tutoring online, most of the kids I had 
had had these kinds of lights as a part of their background. And you can see them almost as, you know, same color schemes, like in like Twitch streams and the like. It's very, it's a very current online trend. Right. I have a friend that uses his whole house with these customizable lights and we could shout out to the atmosphere of Google and say to change it whatever we want. It's it's a very interesting kind of design and almost a very low budget way of how to decorate your space because color can be so uh, sensory to your mind. So I think that's something that could be exhibited in the youth of decoration of that time too is because they're able to do and create a space of their own with using very limited resources that they may have bought with their own money or were gifted. So light can do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can get like one of those LED strips for like $5 at TJ Maxx, um, or at least I've gotten those little LED strips for $5 at TJ Maxx. And yeah, they, they make a huge difference. And if you set it on a certain color and you just sit in a dark room with just that color shining for 10 minutes, you shift. No matter what, you shift. And if you're in that kind of blue space all the time, that is a humongous shift. Whether that's a shift towards calm or a shift towards melancholy, it's uh, it will have an effect. Those lights also emit so much energy to any kind of piece. I have a friend who does Muay Thai and she'll make these videos of her doing the the movement and they look so cool and all she uses are these really easy going led lights um that change color and it's it's the music wow. that is being used that techno club house music that really emulates that neon aesthetic and really hypes you up and i think that's another thing that is very big in this time of the internet culture is that Whatever we find online, it triggers our mind to think of these neon colorful colors and puts us in a whole nother dimension almost. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost feels like, you know, just this portal into like the last, I mean, I don't want to say the last shift to the online space, but like, you know, it almost feels like this little portal of like a progressive shifting to an online space. To close out this, um, please don't put your phones in the microwave. Definitely. Highly agree. You don't know what's going to happen. Or you know it's going to happen, but it's not going to be a good one. Let's go to another online space that we're very familiar with, which is actually Nowness and their beautiful channel of great things. Uh, this Shout out. next film that we're looking at is called Goldfish, which is directed and choreographed by Charlotte Edmonds. Uh, this is just a great example of maybe dance film using wonderful set design and hyping that up with color grading they oh yeah had their finishing with the mill which is a very well-known uh color house and they do beautiful work and you can see it shown clearly in this piece where we have a room that's very dimly designed with very dull colors blues grays a little bit of green 
and two subjects, one that basically is camouflaged with the space, blends in seamlessly. And then we have another person who is dressed to the 11s, out of control, bright orange, and talk about looking like a goldfish. Oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, the dancing from both is incredible and, you know, really, you know, qualitatively just perfect, perfect for the scenery. And the production design is also very thoughtful and really, really sells the film. Like, it's it's one thing to, you know, put those, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, bring out the, the oranges in the scene, but it's another thing to really creatively incorporate the details in the overall setup. Like, we obviously see the orange with the main dancers costuming, but we also see it in the grout on the wall within this very earthy scene. And we see it with the outline of the clock as well. Also, additionally, the dancer's costume, which is also bright orange, is also uh, one of the most mobile or the most pliable pieces of material that we see. And so that in and of itself offers so much potential for um, for developing the story. And there's one moment about... I want to say it's about a minute in. We have this scene set up. We see this very earthy uh, tone with some orange accents. But the dancer, you know, with that orange costume still feels out of place. But then we see that close up that just washes the screen in orange. And all of a sudden, just a change of shot with just a change of proximity. This is her world. I thought that was genius. Yeah, I really love the choice of the costume wardrobe in this for our main dancer because you're able to play around with the camera in that way and it really does fill the frame. And the fact that this is emulating being caught in a space like a goldfish with limitations and only moving in repetition in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. I think works for the personality so well. And it's outlandish. I mean, we're looking at this set that's just is very plain and dull. And obviously she is the star of this look of this space. <laughs> With her outfit, it works really well. And I think one thing that really stood out to me just reading over the whole biography and making of this piece this sensory overload set with claustrophobic limits which I think this outfit definitely reads that and brings in a building emotions overcome her surge of electricity I mean talk about electricity in this with that orange it really shows through it's all that you could really see and pay attention to against a backdrop of blue and green with white there's nothing else that you really can look at in this moment and I think they did a really great job with that and this is obviously built around wardrobe which is a really big part of color in films one movie that comes to mind is Paris Le Faux by Godard and that movie really uh, emulates the feminine and masculine identities Uh, there's this moment where literally the main male character is dressed like another man in the film and that showcases how 
the two men are very similar. And we see that on a regular basis with a lot of things that you might have seen in television and film on a day to day. Oh, gosh, I've I love that film. And actually, funnily enough, I watched Alphaville yesterday and I was also noting like the infrared that was used in that to convey another world. But I w- mm. yeah, wanted to touch base on the costume uh, as well. In that, I think that the costuming, particularly the orange choices, are brilliant. I mentioned the the flowy orange piece earlier that she's wearing, but I also really do dig the heels that she's wearing as well because they are awkward. Anyone who's had to wear those kinds of heels, like sandal heels, knows how awkward they are to just walk in. And I can't even imagine how awkward they are to mm-hmm. to move in either. And that really emphasizes the dancer's awkwardness in this space. And, you know, the almost like putting that as a limitation to her ability to move in this space. I find it funny that at the very end, our second subject uh, that we see in the space, all of a sudden at the very end decides to dance and even though they're very good, loved it. I thought it was a great, like, subtle moment. It really does read as subtle, but also definitely not in the same kind of volume as our main goldfish dancer, which I think is the point, obviously, at the very end. Yeah. You know? It just, yeah, it raised so many more questions about the the characters as well as their relationships and you know, sort of the dramatic irony of it all, like maybe one knows more than the other. So yeah, so this is a great film in terms of uh, its scenic design and in terms of its production design and how that emphasizes the relationship between the two characters. So the last film we'll be speaking about is Wake, directed by Catherine McNaughton and choreographed by Ashley Weirhun. And we see, first of all, like, I do want to mention that there are two different versions of this film uh, screened over the course of the festival circuit in its time. The one version that really sticks out in my mind is a version where a dancer is in a park and all of the green uh, flora is tinted pink. Now, for anyone who's ever done, you know, gone to premiere and has ever played with Lumetri Color, uh, you know, that's actually not too difficult to do. As long as all the cues or the tones are consistent. Um, But we have uh, this dancer in this very odd, uncanny pink world. And essentially a film that shows uh, different relationships with technology and sort of the waking up from the digital world to the real world. Now, this pink world, it supposedly represents this digital space or this digital like la vie en rose type of world, like the almost the candy cane of the digital space. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes I get compulsively drawn to screens as if like, like for that instant dopamine rush. And I felt that the coloring of the film really evoked that for me as well. Yeah, definitely watching this piece had me thinking, judging all of the things of color. And when you made this note on our document that it was screened also in green, the first thing I thought of was 
did you see the blue dress or the gold dress? I can't tell. And I'm very <laughs> curious to be in those theaters at that time where if I saw the pink version versus the green version, version, I have no idea what would be happening. And am I losing my mind? Um, but I thought the pink flora definitely delivered a little bit more intention with the storyline. Uh, gave it more of a this enchanting feeling, romance, complicated with relationships. Now, if this was in the green version, I feel like I might have been watching an afterthought of the choice of location, and it wouldn't have read as strongly. I would have thought of it more as a, oh, this place looks cute and nice. Why don't we shoot it here? Where the pink brought in this kind of almost like Japanese cherry blossom kind of feeling and those dramas of nature and how we're trying to skew the reality of beauty in such and such way. Having that overwhelmingly pink image uh, almost feels like it's like a candy cane world or like not a candy cane, but like a sugar plum, maybe. Sugar, yeah, almost feels like a sugar plum kind of world. And though I will say that having seen this on a big screen in both the pink and the green versions, the original grade with the green actually read pretty well. Like the intention of the original mm-hmm. uh, of the original coloring paired with the choreography and performances actually made the the overall themes of the work come through as well. Which then made me think, like, why why did it need to be tinted like this? Why? Mm. Or an, another option would be, since we do see that shift to green at the end, maybe that's something that could be played with as each uh, performer's perception changes from the so-called digital space to a real space. Maybe that color shifts as well. Now, I know that's really hard to do. At least I haven't found a smooth way of doing it with adjustment layers. Um <laughs> Hannah, we might need your expertise <laughs> in that area. Um, I think just having some, a bit more, um, a bit more play with the coloring could have, you know, really solidified that intention even more. Right. I think that would look so cool if we shifted through the stories through color. We see purple. We see blue. We see orange. Uh, this could have been really ignited into another level if we were you know just starting with the pink like take it to the next level I think that would make it way more interesting and complex of a storyline being represented through those colors I'm all for it I think it's definitely doable I mean with this definitely you have to play around with Maybe not using Premiere as a tool, but going into a more uh, isolating software like DaVinci Resolve. And I mean, yeah, you're going to have to do some, uh, you know, scene cut detection and maybe not every shot is perfect in the way of keying and whatnot. But adjusting the hues is not that hard. I mean, I was picking up some things looking at the blonde girl's hair and noticing there's some pink in there and obviously the green was reflecting and that is very common in blondes when it comes to color grading. The colorist, Derek Branscombe, he did a pretty 
pretty good, all right job getting almost every oh, yeah. everything looking sharp um to get those leaves not looking green anymore. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And yeah, while we do see some of that bleed um the color bleed in the hair, for the most part, most of the dancers look fairly clean as far as the the hues go. Like there wasn't like an accidental like, you know, flush of red in the cheek turning turning purple or turning like a weird shade of pink. Right. Um it was very really well done. And I mean, I will just say choreographically, I think that the having that kind of clarity with the gestures but not overly relying on it was a huge strength of this film. But I would love honestly Hannah, I would love to get uh your take and maybe some um I mean, I know that your list of best practices as far as <laughs> color grading uh, can can go on and on and on. But um, but let's say I, you know, have footage I've shot um, and I want to get a certain look out of it. Um, right. What are some. So what would I have needed to consider while shooting in order for that flexibility to be possible, in order for that flexibility of changing those colors or developing those looks to be possible. Right. Well, I think the first thing, if we're planning a film, start with the easiest thing, which is creating your own color palette that you can do with the items that you have or that you need to buy and sticking with it. I think always including a pop of color really does help. And makes the piece a little bit more exciting or appealing to the eye. So whether that be a piece of clothing or a chair or like in Goldfish, there's a clock that is orange that is being shown through in the same tone as the woman's outfit. I'd start with that. Another thing you would consider is also the space in that way. Say if you want a neutral space use objects or the costume. Um, I would also say maybe don't always rely on the costume as your choice of color and maybe have a prop that fills that void for you. Use a space that has lots of colors on it if that's what you want. So work with the things that are attainable and reachable for you first. After that, I would say also using a camera that is white balanced mm -hmm. for sure or shooting in the raw because that gives you more flexibility to work in post. So if you're shooting in an environment with lots of green mm -hmm. like Wake, you want to white balance to make sure that your footage is not all green because when you sit in front of the computer with that footage and you have to correct it you might be beating yourself up and going why did I not white balance how do you white balance make sure you have a piece mm -hmm. of paper with you and you adjust the color temperature on your yes. device yes. you could also use that with a uh, color palette that you can easily have in your kit or rent um, a lot of people use it I as a colorist don't do not um, so there's many ways of trying yeah, that. I am, I am all for like bringing palettes on just to, you know, have a baseline for what is white in that particular moment. When you hit post, I would say the first thing that you would want to do is also color correct first and not, and 
I don't mean finding a look. I mean correcting the footage. And sometimes that's like a lot easier beforehand, depending on what you're working with. But also it's like color is usually known to be the last thing on the priority list. Like when your edit is done and locked, you then send it to color. So then in that case, you want to correct your footage, make sure everything is the same, everything is neutral, everything is not um, coming in as lots of red, lots of blue, or lots of green, or lots of pink, because that happens quite often as well. And then from there, that's when you can attain a look with your piece, whether that be really desaturated or really saturated or really dark and really light. So Yeah. So, it's, I mean, essentially, is that essentially the difference between color correction versus color grading? Correct. Color correction is, say, you want things to look as neutral as possible. If someone's skin is yellow and it's coming off red that is something that you need to fix or if someone is very flushed pink you want to neutralize that to find their natural skin tone and that is a process of being hard to find but you know as people who may or may not be colorblind we can pretty much figure out how to define a color by looking at it. And another way you can do it if you're not entirely sure is using something called Lumetri scopes that is actually found in Premiere where mm-hmm. you can find where the sweet spot is making things as clear as possible and balanced as possible. And that comes over time learning, but it, there's honestly a lot of videos online that you could learn on how to balance that out and read it in a way of not even having to rely on what color that is by your brain. Yeah, yeah. I um, Most of my work I, is done in Final Cut, and video scopes save my life in that area, just knowing, okay, I can anchor the darks here, you know, highlights don't go past here, and there's that nice color wheel, and everything should be along that little straight line. Right. Um, mechanizations of getting there, a little bit more complicated, but breaking it down to those simple things will help in terms of correcting color um now something you do not do to editors is say oh i don't like the fact that she's wearing a red shirt can you change that color for me that's a no-no you should have (laughs) made that decision on the day of the shoot i i've never run into that but in my day job where i've been coloring so many productions sometimes there is that last minute moment where they would call me up and be like hey uh, is this going to be a problem to fix in post? And that gives me the yes or no in my right of opinion. And I'm glad that people do think of that. And as you, the filmmaker, making your own pieces, you have to decide that in advance or on the day of the shoot. Have that backup because you may change your mind. Or if you have an extra, you know, four figures or so that you'd like to give your local editor for keyframing, then... Make sure they have time to do it. Make sure they have patience to do it, too. Have at it. Have at it. And color, is it's hard. It's hard. But as long as you do the research and know what you like, you're going to have a lovely piece. And I think that is the most important thing is that you love what you made 
and that you put in the time to think about those smaller details because some people don't think about those details of what they're going to wear or what it's going to look like or doesn't need more color besides using saturation and contrast. Taking that extra little planning on what the space is going to look like color-wise might itch that scratch that you've been looking for. Yeah. Again, there's the, you know, every frame of painting uh, YouTube page, but literally like it's a process of, of painting that frame and, you know, color is... An exciting part of that toolkit. There's plenty of films that you could watch, narrative films, dance films that exhibit beautiful color. And I definitely recommend just taking the time and just Google what movies exhibit just beautiful color in it. Um, what is it? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. That's another one that just hits when it comes to representation of color and beautifully done in, on screen. Almost every conceivable palette that you can think of, there's probably a film of representing it. And if there isn't, maybe you can make it. Just experiment. I mean, with all art that has color, at least, make it your own and it will succeed or not succeed or, I don't know, make the worst film out there. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe make a sequel to Derek Jarman's Blue, call it Green. And then make another one. Call it purple. Yes. Or Tris colors red, white, and blue. Oh, no. It was blue, white, and red. Watch Tris colors by Kliszlowski, Polish director. Just watch blue. That's all you really need. Juliette Binoche. Oh. Oh. Lovely. Lovely film. So much blue. I don't watch white and red i'll save i'll save you time there (laughs) one wreck two not wrecks anywho hope you all enjoyed this lovely little discussion about color and i hope all of you you know bring out that coloring book that you haven't touched in a while and experiment with what color palettes that you like yep maybe play with your leds or play with your friends' LEDs, or go to TJ Maxx and get those LEDs, and see how you're feeling. Whatever it is, I hope it itches that scratch that fulfills my day when I look at colors. <laughs> well, thank you, Hannah, and I will be signing up for your masterclass. Oh, thank, thank you, thank you. <laughs> this is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.